Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How is everybody? All right. So in the last um, past two Sundays, we've been talking about our money ethic. I apologize that the word is a little bit um, obscure, but um, I didn't want to use a, a topic that was you know too long. Basically, what 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 the what you know the series really is about is how believers think about money and how we behave with money. Is that right? How do believers think about money and how do we behave with money? Why? How do we believers think about money and how do we behave with money? And um, today is going to be the culminating factor. We'll talk about that actual ethic, that actual way we behave with money. I won't talk about it today, but I had to use the last two Sundays to try and lay a foundation for where that ethic comes from. Why we act the way we act with money. We have to, you know, you need to have the right foundational understanding of why we act with money the way we are supposed to act with money. Because if you don't understand why we act with money, it can devolve into something legalistic. That means it can devolve or it can decay. Our behavior can decay into something that is just about doing something to please God or doing something to get something from God or doing something just because Christians do it. There's a way Christians behave with money. And you have to understand the the way we behave with money and why. Why we behave that way. So that's the reason why we have, to understand, we have to go through understanding work, which is the basic foundation. Where money comes from? Where does money come from for believers? And why? So that's what I've been talking about work in the past, the last two Sundays. Hallelujah. You know, let's, let's go to the, the launch part again. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 12. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenas the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not to live unproductive lives. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. So work is good. It's an end in itself. Working and honest work is good in the sight of God. It is pleasing to God. That in itself is pleasing to God. Working honestly and skillfully in your chosen vocation is good. Devoting yourself to it is good and is pleasing to God. Church out together. Yeah. Devoting yourself to a good and honest vocation is good. That in itself is pleasing to God. It is the will of God. It is the plan of God for us. He now tells us why. He now says that so that they can be able to provide what is necessary. To provide urgent needs. To provide what is meat. What that means is that even though working itself is good and is the will of God for us, God is also using it as a purpose that leads to another purpose, which is that God also uses it to provide for us. This is the way that God provides for us. This is the way that God gives us a dignified life. This is the way that God wants us to live our lives. This is the way our needs are met so that you can provide for what is necessary through the work of your hands hallelujah and not only that so that you know you can live a productive life so that you can gain the joy of being productive there's a joy of doing something meaningful there's a joy of being productive god wants us to experience that joy god wants us to know what it's like to be productive being productive itself is the will of god church i was together do you understand me One of the problems that we have in our context is that we have a lot of superstitious thinking with respect to divine provision. 
we have a lot of superstitious thinking with respect to divine provision. Um, because the, you know, and this is something that even our generation will have to deal with, but from another different dimension. But, you know, because of the way the American idea and view of this thing came into our country and spread around everywhere, there's this subconscious feeling of there is nothing that God cannot do. So, no matter what my needs are, if I pray, there's a way that God will provide it. And when they are thinking of it, they're not thinking of it according to the ways God provides in Scripture. They're thinking of it in a very fantastical sense, in a very superstitious sense, that God can make rain or money to just enter your bank account. That God can just do something that as you're walking on the road, somebody will just say, God told me to give you $5,000. There is that heavy subconscious thinking. When people leave school, they're just thinking in their mind that, ah, I'm sowing a special seed to God because I knew that God is going to make me to be great. I'm going to take over my industry. There's just this mentality of God can just give you one unmerited favor. Like, it's not about me. It's not by my works. And it doesn't help that people will come out and give interesting testimonies of how they were not qualified for things and things just came to them. How they were praying and they were in a tough time and people just came and called them and said, God just laid it in my heart that you should get to social amounts and they receive. It doesn't also help that pastors have, um, pastors are pastors, being a master pastor and being a minister, we have an over-representation of these kind of testimonies. And we share these testimonies to people and people will expect those testimonies to become normal. They think that that is the way God does his things. That's the way that is normative. So there's that thinking, there's that feeling. But even if, if you, it's something that you don't know, that you should know now, is that even a, a, man, a, a minister who is devoted to, to work, working in God's vineyard, the way God provides for him is not the way you, that are not devoted to God's vineyard, even be provided for. Do you know that? Because every man ought to be fed from the work of his hands. So the work of the hands of a minister who is doing it full-time, and I'm talking about in a normal case scenario, not people that are trying to take advantage of people. I think we've talked about it in the last two Sundays. So I don't need to explain myself too much, Abby. You understand where I'm coming from here. So, if a man decides that he's going to work full-time, God calls a man to work in God's vineyard, the way that man is supposed to be provided for is according to that vineyard. So yes, a pastor is the, a full-time pastor is the kind of person that would get testimonies of somebody called me and just said, man of God, God said, I'm, I'm thinking of you. Come and take this car. I've not seen that testimony yet. But, but I hear that pastors get it a lot. All right. <laughs> Praise God. But even if you're a pastor giving that testimony, you and the pastor are not doing the same work. The person that is paying the, the pastor's salary is God. The person pay your salary is your guy in the office. The normative way by which God provides for his people is through the work of their hands. In Luke, um, he, was it uh, Luke chapter 8? Let's open Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. From verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus traveled about from town to town, and from town and village to another, from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, and whom seven demons had come out of, Joanna, the wife, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. <laughs> when I read the scripture, I was surprised. Again, it's not as if I'd known it before. But it just came some, to me sometime during the last few weeks. The person that casually turned five loaves of bread and two fishes to feed 5,000 people did it again for 4,000 people. The kind of person that to show the, his greatness and his power to pay tax, we say, go and pick gold from the mouth of fish. And can, by word of knowledge, tell the apostles to go and meet a man who will help them where they will find an upper room already set. Get a donkey 
that nobody has ever ridden without paying for it, that will meet all his needs. It's the same person that will say, the son of man does not have where to sleep. After saying the son of man does not know where to sleep, he set up his ministry in such a way that the normal way that he will eat and be fed and be sheltered is by people who are working, taking care of him. He didn't say, God in the flesh. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about offerings. Don't worry about all these things. I'll take care of it. Whenever I want to, you just say, Peter, gather your boys. Everybody gather. Just give me one, one slice of bread somewhere. Just give me one slice of bread. Receive. And everybody's plate is filled. He can do it. It's not a problem. But he refused that the normal way that he will eat, the normal way that he will eat, the normal way that he will eat is by people working and taking care of him. So no. You saw someone's tweet or you saw a testimony where someone says, I've been in the house and they gave me a contract that was not qualified for. No, it is not a testimony for you. Did you hear what I just said now? Someone says, I was not doing something and then someone gave me charity. No! The God that did it for him will do it for me. No. One God will deal with you. The Jesus that multiplied five, five loaves and two fishes did not do it for his daily lives. So I'm telling you, the God that can do it for him will not do it for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not questioning you. You understand what I'm saying? Uh -huh. I'm telling you that what he's doing for you, what he's doing for everybody, the normal way, this is the word of God, that a man will walk with his hands and provide what is good so that he will not be unproductive. The God that did it for Elijah, that ravens can feed him, he will not send you ravens to feed you. Here I just said that. The earlier you start working, the better for you. The earlier you start attaining skills and competence in your God-given work, the better for you. God can change my story. I heard the story of a man that he just betted on Bet Niger and just calculated 24 odds. And God used it to change the story of his family. He can do it for me too. He will not do it for you. Do you hear what I just said now? Okay. Do you hear what I just said now? There's this lady, when she was young, she was just doing anyhow when we were in school, and God just did it for her. She went for a program, and God just organized it for her. She now met one handsome young guy that was traveling to America, and they got married. Now she's living in America with her husband, and God is doing it for her. Sister, listen to me. That's not your story. You know what I just said now? Yes. You are a Christian. And you will live like a Christian. You will be dignified. You will be self-reliant. You will not have to depend on anybody. And people from outside will look at you and they will respect you. That is the will of God for you. Your life is not dependent on the success of another man. Your life is not dependent on a man somewhere coming to bail you out. You are the one that will bail him out. Did you hear what I just said now? In case you are still in that one, listen to the last two Sunday's messages. Stop thinking superstitiously. Stop, I remember, you know, growing up, we used to hear a lot of this kind of stuff that if God wants to do it now, that money will just rain from heaven, he can do it. No. He can do it, he will not do it. Church, all together. So understanding this basic framework of, you know, God's attitude towards work and towards money leads us into the ethic, how Christians handle money. How do we deal with money? How do we interact with money? How do we handle money? And it is, these are two basic things. I've already talked about the work thing. Now, how do we handle money? There are two basic things I'm going to talk about today you know, to round it up, is, that one is, is generosity and contentment. These two things are intertwined. They are hard to separate from each other, but I will take them one by one. 
our money ethic, how we handle money, when we work honestly and, and um, when we work honestly with our hands to live productive lives, flows into two things. The first one is generosity. The first one is generosity. Believers are generous people. Believers are generous people. Christians are generous people. Christians are not stingy. And I'm making this statement very strongly because the matter of generosity boils down to your true understanding of salvation and what you have received in Christ. Ah! Did you guys hear what Pastor Shea said at the beginning of the service? There is a knowledge that is in your head that pops up. And then there is a knowledge that, that is, that, you know, that, that, that is acted upon by wisdom and understanding that the gifts, that the Spirit gives, that leads to edification. The one that leads to godliness is the one that is wisdom, that has wisdom and understanding. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm. The one that leads to being puffed up is just knowledge in your head. I discovered something over the last few weeks, something has become more apparent to me, something that became more clear to me, is that there are a lot of people that when we're talking about theological stuff, we're talking, discussing God and everything, for them, what they're doing is philosophy. It's abstract. The souls we're talking about are not really human beings. It's just ideas. Some people will go to hell. They're not thinking about it. They don't read. It's not real. It's just abstract. Um, God is deed. God is that. The natures of God. This is what we need. It's just theology. I'm correct. You are wrong. It's just theology. The people, when they are talking, the people they are thinking about, that we're talking about, is not souls. It's abstract theology in their head. As I put on, I say, yeah, um, God wants some people to go to hell. You know, it's just, it's abstract. The day, you, the day it becomes apparent to you that it is your firstborn that is struggling in the faith, your firstborn child that is struggling in the faith, you know, the conversation will change. You know the conversation will change. It's when you're on Twitter arguing, theology, theology. Yeah, some people are going to hell. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> That's when you are when your firstborn child comes home and says, God forbid, it's not happened to any of you in Jesus' name. This one, I'll take it seriously. It's not happened to any of you in Jesus' name. Your children are saved already. Just baptize them as they're born. Someone's will come and be arguing with that abstractly. He grows up, the person's child will now come and now say, um, Daddy, uh, Daddy, I'm a boy, but I'm feeling like a girl. And I don't even believe in Jesus again, I'm going. Is that a time you start talking about a uh, predestination election? You will just turn to an Armenian. Say, you must be saved. I will die on your matter. This one is, is you will be saved. So I don't have anything. I just use that as an example. That many times there's a knowledge that can come to your head that is just abstract. It's just in your head. It's not real. And that's why I said Christians are generous people. Because there's a kind of understanding of salvation that doesn't translate to generosity, that tells us that this person's understanding of what Jesus did is in his head. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. It says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing, you yourself know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself that said, it is more blessed to give than to what? Receive. There is a correlation between generosity and blessing. There is a correlation. We, I think we talked about this um, some series ago. What was that series that we did again? Um, hmm? God's reward system. God bless you. If you've not heard that, you can listen to it. God's reward system. There's a correlation between people being generous and then being blessed materially, so to speak. But correlation is not causation. What that means is that if two things are happening together, 
it does not mean that one is causing the other one. Do you understand that? That's what we mean when we say correlation does not mean causation. The fact that two things are happening at the same time, for example, what that means is if Dr. Femi and Brother Paul come into church together, right? They came in at the same time. They are coming in with correlated. It does not mean that Dr. Femi brought Brother Paul. Do you understand that? It does not mean that Dr. Femi brought Brother Paul. That means, so it's very, very important because one of the things that, you know, when they are doing theology and arguing and all that now. One of the errors that people make is that they think that because there is a correlation between material given and other, and indeed it is true, that when a, a believer will notice that when they are generous, they notice that God is providing. Then they will think that it's because they were generous that God is providing. So they think their giving is what makes God to provide. But because Dr. Femi and Brapo came together does not mean Dr. Femi brought Brapo. It might be there is an Uber that brought both of them. What does that mean? It means that when the when Apostle Paul is telling us that it is more blessed to give than to receive, obviously by now you know that when God is talking or when the apostles are talking about blessing, somebody that said, I've learned how to abase, I'm about to abandon, I'm going to come to that. You will know that he was not saying that when he was abasing and still giving out of his poverty, that he was not blessed. The Corinthian, the, the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that we're going to see now, the Bible tells us that in their deep poverty, they were still giving. But Paul says that it is more blessed to give than to receive. So poor people are blessed. Do you understand that? A poor, generous person is blessed. He does not cancel this word out. Letting you know that blessing of the blessing of God is not limited to material provision. Do you understand that? The blessing of God can manifest as divine provision materially, sometimes, but it is much bigger than that. If you're not a materialistic person, you cannot know God. You cannot know God. If you're a materialist, oh sorry, I may said it wrongly. If you're a materialistic person, you cannot know God. Because everything that God is doing, you'll be seeing it in terms of naira and dollar. Meanwhile, God is much more bigger than that. Much bigger than that. When he says he's more blessed to give than to receive, he's not talking about money. He's talking about the supply of the grace of God. He's talking about the supply of the grace of God to fulfill God's purpose for your life. So Paul says he's more blessed to give than to receive. Believers are generous people. Believers are generous people. A believer is not a user. You know, let's look at some things. If you read Proverbs chapter 11, verse 12, verse 25, and let me just quickly read that before I go into some of these things. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be what? Refreshed. Do you guys remember our series on um, what they call it. When we talked about prosperity, do you guys remember that series? When we defined prosperity in the Old Testament, do you remember that prosperity is not about money? Prosperity is about breakthrough. Prosperity is about fulfilling your purpose. It's about doing well in the thing that God has committed into your hand. Hallelujah. And now says a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So when you say that a generous person will prosper, it does not mean a generous person will become the richest person. Hallelujah. Proverbs 22, verse 9. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. The generous will themselves be blessed, because they share their food with the poor. So he says that a generous person will be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. So what does all these things mean? Let's look at a real scripture that you know, applies to our own epoch in history, so that you can understand and appreciate it well. Because if you are reading Proverbs alone and you are mischievous, you can just read that means that anybody that's generous, you must be rich. If you are not prospering, it's because you're not generous. Hallelujah. If you are generous, you must prosper. Amen. Listen, calm down. Second Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. So there's a supply of the grace of God. There's a supply of the ability of God that comes from knowing God, that comes from an awareness of God. That enables you. Look at what he says. Now says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. There is a grace of God at work in the lives of these people that even though they were going through trials, 
and they were in extreme poverty, they were still able to give. They were still able to give. Every man is meant to give according to their income. So that means that any amount that you have, you can be generous therewith. Any amount that you have, you can be generous with it. Because believers are generous. And let me just say ahead of time now, I've talked about these things before, but let me just say it ahead of now. If you are giving because you are expecting something in return, you are not generous, you are an investor. Do you understand that? If you are giving because you are expecting something in return, then you are not being generous, you are being an opportunist. You and Tidal Global and the investors, you are the same team. You and the person that is betting on one bet Niger, you are the same thing. That is, have you ever seen someone that wants to go and drop his salary? Say, ah, you are very generous. You now give your whole salary to best Niger. Is that what you say? Is that what you say? What do you say? Aha. When someone is giving because they expect something in return, they are not being generous. They are being opportunistic. They are users. They are at best investors, at worst gamblers. Can I just say it now? Let me say it again. If someone is giving because they expect something in return, they are not being generous. They are being opportunistic. They are being users. At best, they are investors. And at worst, they are gamblers. Did you hear what I just said now? Verse 3, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, in fact, beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So this is where the grace for giving comes. An awareness. The submission of yourself to God. A man who has truly given himself to God will find out that it's not hard for him to give his pockets to God. Do you understand what I just said now? Yes. How do you know where a man's heart is? The Bible says, the Lord tells us, that where a man's treasure is, that's where his heart will be also. Where a man's treasure is, that's where his heart will be also. If your heart is in your pocket, that's where your treasure is. But if God is your treasure, that's where your heart will be. And that is the reason why a man that has given himself first to God does not have a problem giving his resources also to God. The grace that the Macedonian church had, where was the grace from? Simple. It was not based on the fact that they were rich because obviously they were very poor. It was from the fact that they had given themselves to God. Listen to me. Generosity is one of the ways that we know those that are giving themselves to God. Forget all these other things. You can come to the church and be active, cleaning chair, doing things. They send you, you say, Pastor, yes, sir. Say, you are very active in church. Everybody sees you all over the place. They look at you, they say, you need something in this door, you are there. They turn to this side, we need something here, you have showed up. That does not mean you are giving yourself to God. They will know that you are giving yourself because you can be doing all those things as a way of showing people. You know what they call uh, virtual, virtual signaling. You understand? Uh-huh. If you did not grow up in a Christian home, you know that's not what I'm saying. And I'm speaking from, if I had images in my head, if I was doing like this in church, virtual signal, so they can think you're a good person. You're trying to buy cheap, I'm a good person points. So that's why you're all over the place. Let me tell you how they used to know those that have given themselves to God. When they say there's a need for God's purpose, this is the will of God, there's a need for it. How you react lets us know whether you have given yourself to God or not. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And that is where real Christianity starts. Christians are generous people. This is our ethic. Christians are generous people. Hmm. Listen to me, guys. 
no matter how much a person is talking, I'm saying I'm content for the gospel, I'm preaching, I'm doing this, I'm arguing theology and everything and everything. If the person is stingy, he has not given himself to God. If a person is stingy, the person has not given himself to God. God can bless you with a very good intelligence quotient and a natural philosophical mind. And because you are born again, theology is the natural substrate. It's the natural thing that you will use to manifest your God-given talents. Do you understand that? So that's why you are doing it a lot. It might not be because you love God. This is where real Christianity starts. This is where the, the people that don't argue, that don't know God, that don't argue philosophy, that don't argue all those things with us, can excel you that argues philosophy. When it comes to real Christianity, when it comes to serving God, this is where we know a man who has not given himself to God will be stingy. Hmm. Can I tell you the truth or I should be going? Okay. Verse 6 says, So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier, as he had earlier made the beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and the love we have kindled on you, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of God. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the grace that the Macedonian church had. That they knew this. And this was in their hearts and in their souls. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was that though he was rich, obviously in the New Testament when you see rich, it's not money, okay? You understand? We talked about this already. Rich, though he was in heaven, he had heaven, he had the divine nature. He is the divine God that made all things by himself. He did not consider it to be robbery or to relinquish all those privileges so that he can become a miserable human being or add on miserable humanity for your sake. So that you, in your miserable humanity, can have godliness. Do you understand what I'm saying here? You just saw now, what we just read now. He said, the son of man does not have where to sleep. It was women of, you know, of this day that were taking care of him. Is that the kind of rich you want? When you are thinking of rich, material rich, is that the rich you are looking at? Where sometimes you don't have where to sleep. Is that the rich you're looking at? So it cannot be that rich. This is the grace of God. Let's go to chapter 9. Christians are generous people. Christians are generous people. Verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. What are you reaping? Don't be in a hurry to assume that you know what you are reaping. Relax. Let's read what he's, you are reaping, okay? Let Paul himself tell us. Don't come to the text with your own understanding of what you are sowing and what you are reaping, okay? Each of you should give what you have. So what you are sowing is what you have, isn't it? Deciding in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. It is pleasing to God that men give of their substance cheerfully. It is pleasing to God that men give of their substance cheerfully. Every time the purpose of God, the a need of the purpose of God is made plain to you. We've already talked about what the purposes of God are, right? When every time the purpose of God is made plain to you, you are, made, you are made aware of it. It is pleasing to God. God loves it. When you look at it and you give generously as much as you can, God loves it. Many times we are praying and saying, Lord, let my life be pleasing unto you. Lord, let my life be pleasing unto you. Lord, I just want to please you. I just want to please you. I just want to please you. Listen to me, Right? Pleasing God is not an abstract thing. Look into God's word. You see what is pleasing to God. Do you understand that? Do you understand? Don't, don't need to make it all esoteric and all those things, right? 
Listen, you want God to be pleasing unto you? You want, you want God to be pleased with you? You want to do what is pleasing to God? You want to get God's commendation? It's, it's clear. One of them is this. God loves it when you give cheerfully. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart. Oh, sorry, verse 9 says, for God is able to bless you abundantly. For God is able to bless you abundantly. Why? So that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Why is he blessing you abundantly? So that what? You can abound in good work. Is he blessing you abundantly because you gave someone? He's blessing you so that you can do. God is not your mate. So Christians are not generous because they want to get something in return. All the good things that are in your life, all the best things that are in your life, how many, how much seeds did you sow for God to give you those things? Some of you here know in the truth of your heart that there are some blessings, even material blessings that have come to your life, that it came in a period where you're not even paying tithes. Or giving tithes, sorry. You don't pay tithes. Do you understand that? You know in your deep of hearts of hearts that the time when there was a need that you could have supported, you were holding your money to spend on something ridiculous for your own personal pleasures. Even then, God still blessed you. You know what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit is pinching your heart. You know what I'm saying. So God is not blessing you because he, you gave. God is blessing you so that you can give. God blessed you in the first place so that you can give. And this coheres perfectly with what we've been saying for the past two Sundays. He said, let our people devote themselves to good work so that they can meet urgent needs. God is actually blessing the work of your hands so that you can give. God was looking at you before you started working and said, I want to use this person for my purpose so I will give him what he needs so that he can do my purpose. It was not that it's after a good turn and I say, ah, I like this guy. Try, try, try. I beg, angel, run out smarting. No! God is the initiator. It starts with him, not you. It's not in giving that the other will now become reversed. Do you understand what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? <laughs> it's not when giving starts that the other is now reversed. He's blessing you so that, look at that, let's read it again. Now says, verse 8, let's read it again. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So that, verse 9 now says that it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. So he was quoting the Old Testament here and was now telling us that the beauty of giving, when you scatter your needs to the poor, when you give to the purposes of God, is that your righteousness endures forever. It's all about the righteousness. It's all about the fact that you are pleasing to God. What comes from giving, what you reap from giving is righteousness. It is that you did the will of God. It is that some people are blessed. Do you understand what I just said now? Let's go on. It now says verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also look out. He says, oh, he who supplies seed to the sower the seed that you are sowing, he supplied it. Did you sow to get your seed? The seeds that you are sowing, he's the one that gave it. The one that is eating, that is the bread that is being ate, that is being eaten, he says, and bread for food, will also supply, look at it now, says, and increase your store of what? Seed. And enlarge the harvest of your what? God is giving you and increasing your store of seed so that you can act righteously, not like a non-believer. He will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And that says verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be what? Hey, are you guys here at all? Or you don't want again? He says you will be enriched in every way so that you can be what? On every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in what? 
So what is the result of your giving? Do you understand now? So if you reap sparingly, if you sow sparingly, God has given you seed. God has blessed you so that you can be generous. If you sow sparingly, what you will reap in terms of thanksgiving and the fulfillment of the purpose of God that you will see will also be what? Sparing. It's simple. The more you give to the poor, the more the poor will be, their needs will be met, the more thanksgiving the words give. There's a purpose for the, there's a need in the purpose of God, the will of God in the local church. The more you give, the more can be what? Done. Do you understand that? Is it more complicated than that? Forget all these things. The moment your motivation for generosity enters the point of you are trying to do it to get something back, you are no more being generous. You are not a cheerful giver. You need to let it sink inside of you that God is the one that will give you the seeds that you will sow. Deliver yourself from every kind of wrong mentality. You don't need to live a kind of life where you become offended at God and be living your life in an incoherent Christian faith that does not make sense, that does not even cohere with, with the word of God and will not be make, that will making you offended. Deliver yourself from it. God is blessing you so that you can be generous. God gave you that higher paying job so that you can be generous. So that you can meet the needs that are urgent. And so you can be productive. Believers are generous people. Listen guys, don't be a user. Don't be an opportunist. Don't be a user. Don't be an opportunist. A local church is blessing you. A local church is blessing you. When it's time to help that local church to do something, you will now be calculating. You'll be calculating. Don't be a user. That's a user spirit. Stingy people are users. And this thing, the funny thing is that it's a show in other areas of your life. A local church has been blessing you. When it is time to bless the, the local church back in return, that's not the time to start calculating. As much as it's within you, as much as you are now, I'm not saying you should go and give your children school fees. Oh, calm down. As much as you have, all right? So a man must provide for his family what is the business. But oftentimes, you have much more than that. Your needs are met. Your rent has been paid. So you cannot say, you understand? Eh, your food has been taken care of. Let me tell you something. Generosity is not what will make you poor. Do you hear what I just said now? Mm-hmm. If you were poor before you became generous, do you understand? <laughs> Sorry, if you were rich before you became generous, it's not generosity that make you poor. Because if you understand everything we've been saying since, if your prosperity or your needs, your material blessing is coming from the work of your hands, your work of your hands will generate more for you. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? Deliver yourself from all those funny mentalities. Ah, if I give this one, what will happen? What's wrong with you? It's because you are still thinking superstitiously that money comes from some kind of shadowy place. Where money comes from is from the work of your hands. That work of your hands will keep providing. If you give this one this month, another one will come next month. This is one of the securities that living like a Christian gives you. When other people are afraid that, hey, the economy is dying. Okay, listen to me, let me tell you something that's happening. No matter how much the economy is happening, America's inflation rate because of dollar is killing all the other economies and wiping everybody else because of that. Interest rate is increasing. Because of that, you can't really invest in anything because if you invest, the interest rate will move faster than the amount of profit that can come from it. So nobody knows what to invest and everything. Let me tell you something. There's one thing that is always dependable. You know that thing is? Let me give you free management consulting from the Bible. Hallelujah. Your skill. Solomon has said this thing many years ago. Bad as a bad. Economy should do whatever it likes and all that. If you're skilled, if you're a hardworking person, the people that know you know you as a man of integrity that knows his work or God, work will come and you will provide for your needs through that work. It's that simple. Do you hear that you said now? You hear that you said now? Deliver yourself from funny, mysterious thinking. That, ah, if I give this money now, Hey, there's a need in church, or there's a poor person around me that needs something. If I give this money now, will I be able to give? Okay, maybe I should just give. Then calm down. The money that the money you hold that you're holding, how did it come? Did you steal it? It's only if you got it by gambling that you'll be afraid. If you got it by honest labor, I'm telling you something that I've seen. 
If I've not seen it, I'll not be able to tell you this thing so confidently. There's no amount that I've ever given that did not come back because I'm working. If your money ethic is Christian, you will not have any, any problem. Your behavior will be coherent and consistent. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Did you hear what I just said? That? Christians are generous. Christians are not opportunists. Please don't allow me to preach this message too many times. So I do not say that I'm trying to get people to give, okay? You know that. Don't let me preach this message too much. I'm begging you in the name of God. Church, are we together? Philippians chapter 4. This is the Macedonian church he was talking about. This is the Macedonian church. Philippi is the capital of Macedonia, where, um, you know, Philip, the father of Alexander the Great, the city that was named after him. Verse 10. I rejoice greatly, Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever, whatever the circumstances. Paul is saying something here. That is very, that's what I was saying, that generosity and contentment are very interrelated. These very poor people, Paul was telling them something. He said, I'm happy that you guys give because you've been looking for an opportunity to give to me and you finally found one. And it's not as if I'm trying to collect money from you, you know, because I'm not, I don't need money right now because I'm actually good. In fact, in fact, I don't need, the reason why I don't need is because I know how to be trenches and I know how to be largest. Do you understand that? I didn't say it well. That's what James Newell said. When he said, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and in every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Hmm. Paul says that I know what it is like to be in the trenches. And I know what it is like to have plenty of money. And it's interesting to me that he was talking to poor people too. He was talking to a poor church, a church that did not have money. Letting them know that in these trenches matter. <laughs> it's not only you. Me too as your apostle. I know what it is to be in the trenches and I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is content. Say whatever the situation, I know what it is to be content. This is where generosity naturally flows and is interrelated with contentment. A believer that has not learned contentment will, be tr will have problem with generosity. A believer who has not learned contentment will have problem with generosity. Verse 14 now says, Yeah, it was good for you, of you to share in my troubles, um, you know, and all that and all that. And I have received, verse 18 now says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent, they are a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifices, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So God will meet his needs, their needs, not because they give. He was saying it prophetically. It's according to God's riches in glory, not according to your works, not according to your giving, according to his riches in what? Glory. Do you understand that? Maybe I will read these scriptures like as if it's Nigeria that wrote it. When it says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory, people read it like as if the amount of money that God will give you is according to the fact that God has riches in glory. Mm -mm. The riches of God's glory is his grace and his disposition towards us. So it is because it is according to his grace and disposition towards us that he meets your needs. Telling them that he's not meeting your needs because you gave me. God will meet your needs because God is kind and he's good to you. Let's not start. Let's just move on. Here's the point. The reason why the, 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 the church in Philippi or the Macedonian church could be generous to Paul is because they learned how to be content. Contentment is an important thing for any believer. If you, are no, if you don't learn contentment, you might struggle to enter heaven. And I know what I'm saying. Especially the way this world is. If you don't learn contentment, you will struggle with generosity, obviously. But that's not the only thing you will struggle with. You struggle with a lot of other things. Contentment is not complacency. 
Let's read a couple of scriptures. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. I said something about contentment and somebody replied and said, there is so much more. So we will press into so much more. Don't tell people, don't tell people to be satisfied. Are you a believer? The Bible says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. You see, people should not be content with what they have. There is so much more. Press for more. Because God has said, why are you content with what you have? Because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. That's what I was saying. This is the reason why you can also be generous. Because the God that provided and gave you the seed that you are sowing will give you another one. He will provide according to his disposition. The riches of his glory, his kindness and his graciousness. Being the initiator who loved us first before we loved him. The one who loved us first before we loved him. This is the reason why we can be generous. Because he provided and he will provide again. Not because we gave. Because even when we were unfaithful in our giving, he remained faithful. Even when we were unfaithful, he remained faithful. Even when we were not giving, he was providing our needs. We are giving because he will provide our needs according to his riches in glory. He will meet my needs because he is good. And because he is good, I'm not a bastard. I will be generous. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? You are not generous because you don't know God. You might do theology, but you don't know God. You are not content because you don't know God. You can shout and say anything you like and be active in church, but you don't know God. Therefore, we say with confidence, this is the reason why we can be content with what we have. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. That fear you have when there is a need, that is, afraid of, that is making you afraid of giving is a demonstration that you don't know God. In that moment, oh, I don't know about that moment, but in that moment, you don't know God. The man that looks at his pocket and looks at a need and says, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is the one that provided my seed of, my, my, my store of seed so I can be generous. He is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can this thing do to me? I will not die. I will give because there's a need. I will not die. God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can be content with what we have. We can be content with what we have. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. We did not bring any material thing into the world, but there's something that we are taking out. What's that thing we are taking out? Serving God, the fulfillment of our purpose, the works of our hands that he will judge us for. He won't take out your money. You won't take out your houses. You won't take out your cars. You came naked. You are living. In fact, you are living dead. But there's something that you will carry on. That you have served God. And that you have done what is good. That you can stand before God and say, Father, all that you have given me, I have been faithful with it. And the Lord can say, yes, you have done well. Verse 8 now says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Let me tell you what this means and let me break it down to pieces because I don't have time to go through the entire whole thing. Let me break it down into pieces. 
What it means is this, and let me say it in practical things. Let me do practical theology for you so you can understand. When God has provided food and clothing for you, are you hearing me? When God has provided food and clothing for you, any other work that you are doing, any work you are doing, is not so that you can get more food and clothing because God has provided it for you. Any work that you are doing, everything that you are doing is for the purpose of God. Forget those kind of financing things. You see, I'm getting more money so that I can give. Mm-mm. Don't chase money so that you can give. You are going to hell if you do that. Chase the purpose of God for your life. Chase what is the will of God for your life. That means that after God has given you food and clothing, because the man that has not eaten will not be able to do the will of God. Do you understand that? The man that is naked cannot even go out to do the will of God. Do you understand? God has, as you are seated here now, your purpose and what you are chasing is the purpose of God for your life. What you are chasing is the purpose of God for your life. As you are chasing the purpose of God for your life, as you are doing the will of God for your life, you will find yourself in different kind of contexts. The money that comes from that context should be enough for you. Do you understand what I just said now? That is contentment. That is between contentment and complacency. Complacency is, I'm going to sit down, I'm not chasing the purpose of God for my life again. Because I have, I've seen rice to eat, I've seen jollof rice, I've seen um, 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 pomon to eat. Because of that, I'm not doing anything. Any man that does that, God will look at him and say, eh, so since you don't want to do anything again, oh yeah, give me my life back. Since you don't want to use it. That's what happened to the rich fool. He was not content, he was complacent. Do you understand that? Do you see the difference? When a rich man says, ah, I've made a lot of money, let me now enjoy and rest. A worldly person thinks that is contentment. That's not contentment. That is complacency. And a man that is complacent will be judged. Do you understand that? What is contentment? I am chasing the purpose of God for my life. I am doing what God wants me to do. The amount of money I make when I'm doing the purpose of God is enough for me. What I'm chasing is God's purpose, not the money. You cannot say you are chasing money to do God's purpose. No, you chase purpose. The money that comes while you are doing that purpose is what should be enough for you. Do you understand that? Do you understand that what I'm saying to you? That's why kingdom financier is just a um, Christ, is just a Christianese way of covering materialism and greed. There is no excuse to chase money. There is no excuse. He said, those that desire to be rich, there is no exception. Those that desire to be rich. Paul did not say for, for look at this, look at verse 9. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and what? Destruction. That's what I've been saying that those that want to be rich are going to hell. It's not as if I'm, I'm trying to be harsh or anything. It's Paul that said it. Those who want to be rich, even if they say they are drinking enough financing, those who want to be what? Anyhow, you want to cover it and shape it. Say, you want to take over influence for Christ. So we want to be rich to be fresher for Christ. What you should want is to do the will of God for your life. Do you understand? As you are doing the will of God for your life, as you are working productively, money will come. That money that comes according to the purpose of God for your life should be enough for you. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it under illusion. Don't get any kind of wrong illusions or delusions. <laughs> See, I'm just rhyming. Hey, hey. I should become a rapper. <laughs> Listen to me. The place that God will send us to, where God will put us and the platforms of God will put us will be different. So it is because of that some people will have five, some people will have two, some people will have one. By normal relative definition, not all of us will be rich, but nobody will be destitute. I just want to say that again. Not all of us will be rich and have plenty of money. Obviously, some people will be rich. Some people will be rich amongst us. But it's not everybody. What matters is that you are chasing the purpose of God for your life. So having food and clothing, you will be content therewith. The only person that has a, an issue to, that can have a grudge is to say, um, I don't even have food to eat. I don't even have clothes to wear. Your conversation is a different one. That's why people like those people in church, we take care of them. So even they don't have an excuse not to chase the purpose of God for their life because the church will meet their clothing and their what? Feeding. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So for you, what do you want to be to do the purpose of God for your life? Do you want to be rich? See, some unbelievers are still here. Do you want to be rich? What do you want to do? 
Some people are not saying it well. Let me ask again. Do you want to be rich? Do you want to go to hell? What do you want? He's the man that is doing the purpose of God for his life that can say, God is my helper. I cannot be afraid of anything. He's a man that, that is doing the purpose of God for his life that can say, God is my helper. I'm not afraid of what men can do to me. He's a man that is doing the purpose of God for his life. This is how it can be coherent. Any other way of saying it will be a lie. If there's any other way, if you say it any other way, you run but you don't be deceiving yourself. It is a man that is following the purpose of God for his life not to be rich. That can see a rich man and would objectively and sincerely and truthfully not have any sense of inferiority. <sighs> Let me give you a personal testimony so it can help you to encourage you. I remember when I was in Ibadan. My wife was still working in Lagos coming to Ibadan from then. And there was a period I didn't have work so we started a business. And I said, ah, I must leave a production that I cannot be a useless husband. And I started working to a place where paying me 50000 50,000 naira as God is my witness. My wife is here, you can ask her. A medical doctor. Because I said what? I know the purpose of God for my life. I'll be doing ministry and I'll be doing other things and everything. So I was constrained in the kind of things I could go for. It looked crazy. But I was convinced that this was the purpose of God for my life. I was earning 50,000 naira. My wife, is my, she was still saying this some days ago. She said, I don't understand you. I don't understand how compassing you are. And it's not as if there's one special ability, one special personality and everything. For some reason, I just knew early on that the most important thing is the purpose of God for my life. God is my witness. Like Paul would say, God is my witness and God has also given me human witnesses. I never for one day had a sense of inferiority with anybody. They used to think I was weird. When we moved to Lagos and people were saying that, all my colleagues were saying that, we've, gone, we've written an exam, and we've traveled to the UK, we've moved to the UK, but once I moved to America, people were saying, look at you, weird. Now, what's wrong with you? Your mates are traveling, by Japan, doctors, it's easy for you. Write the exam, pass and come, and be a big boy. Come to America, write your SMLE, write the... I know the purpose of God for my life. I did not have a single sense of inferiority. Your low self-esteem is because you don't know God. You hear what I just said now? Yes. Your low self-esteem is because you don't know God. God is my witness. For one day, I never looked at another man's car and converted it and said, ah! At every point in time, my own car is always the biggest in my eyes. At every point in time, my house is the best in my eyes. At every point in time, the shoes I have is the best. My suit is the best. What I have is the best. Because my eyes were solely fixed. Solely fixed on what God wanted me to do. But the funny thing is that God still provided for my needs. Every year, God is providing for my needs. As I'm getting older, getting more competence in my work, knowing my work more, I'm also being promoted and I'm earning more. And I can do more. I have never sat down to say, you know what, did you know? Apart from when I was a child, when I was, you know, 100 level, 20 level, and they were telling us all those motivational things. I said, I want to be a billionaire. I'm not talking about that. Since I got saved, since I got, I'm not saying, ah, I must live in a duplex. I'm on, mm. And God is just dealing with us as we are going step by step. That kind of lifestyle, what it does for you is that when God provides a material blessing for you, that material blessing will look so big. It will be like, ah, thank you, Jesus. Because you're not looking at that money based on another person's own. When you get a job and they increase your salary from 200 to 250K, you say, ah, plenty money. Because they're not looking at your tech bro friend that is earning 750. But if you are on the way to hell, if you are looking at the friend that is earning 750 and they increase 50, you're saying, let's thank God, Shah. What's wrong with you? The purpose of God for your life is to do His will. That's what you want to do. That's what you should focus, for, focus on. This is how believers behave with money. Let's just end with this. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Let me give you a warning now. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. Let me warn you now. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless life. Do you want to live a meaningless life? 
in case there's somebody that wants to live a meaningless life, let me tell you how to do it. Love money, it will never be enough. Love wealth, you will never be satisfied. Your life will just be meaningless. So people will hear this message and be saying, ah, that's their own. Let me make plenty of money first before I can be the judge for myself. Go. Scoffers will hear things like this. They will hear God's word. And their response will be, eh, you said your own. Let me go and make plenty of money. And I will now know for myself. You know those kind of useless scoffing things they will say? Go. You will agree sooner or later. Because there's one thing about Jesus. At the end of time, every knee will bow. And every tongue will what? It's not a cause. Go. Chase money. Be living your life for riches. Desire to be rich. We are here. On Jesus' side, your knee will bow and your tongue will confess. You will agree. My prayer for such a person is that you won't have wasted so much of your life not doing anything meaningful before you, your head will be correct. That's my prayer. So believers are generous. Let me start from the beginning. Believers, believers work honestly and skillfully with their hands. As they work honestly and skillfully with their hands, they are generous. They are pursuing the purpose of God for their life. And as they are doing that, they are content with what God provides. Hallelujah. Bow down your heads and let us pray. By the grace of our Lord Jesus, by the grace of our Lord Jesus, we pray for all of God's people that are here, that according to his riches in glory, he will meet all your needs. According to his riches in glory, he will meet all your needs. The Lord will open your eyes so that you can see his purpose for your life. He will open your eyes so that you can see what you are meant to be doing. In the name of Jesus, I pray for you that the Holy Spirit will do a work in your heart. And every spirit of stinginess, every spirit of greed, every spirit of covetousness, every spirit of comparison and competition, every working of the flesh that is contrary to what is of the spirit, as far as money and things of this world are concerned, I pray for you that the Holy Spirit will deliver you from all such things. If there's anyone where those who has these things lurking in one corner of their hearts by reason of their past experiences, by reason of what they've been taught and indoctrinated with, I pray for you by the grace of God that the Lord will deliver you from all such things in the name of Jesus. The purpose of God for your life will be sweet to you. The salvation of our God will be joy to you. In the name of Jesus. None shall be destitute. None shall lack. Every need will be met by the grace of our Lord Jesus. By the grace of our Lord Jesus. Father, we give you thanks. Father, we give you thanks. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.